Just thank you to our musicians for leading us in worship today. We're grateful for y'all. I want to thank the women's ministry for getting the decorations up this week. Like you said, Jose Luis, they're really beautiful. Um, so we're glad for, we are glad for that. What a wonderful season to be in together here at UCG. Yes. Um, so good morning. Um, just a reminder, I, I look forward to the opportunity to connect with, with each of you individually, personally. It's great to, to see you at church, but I'd love to have a chance to meet with you just one-on-one. -on -one. Cynthia can make that appointment if you want to reach out to her and, um, and get, get that appointment made. So yeah, just in the next weeks, be thinking about that and let Cynthia know if you'd like to get connected with us. Also, welcome to our online audience today. All right, today's reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. All right. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink, he will, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born." He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for their Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you today for your word, for this time to spend in it together as a family of faith. And today I pray that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in your sight and would bring you joy, for indeed you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Today, this year, this Advent, we together are going to go on an adventure, an adventure, okay? We're going to go on an adventure together because Advent should really be a time of pondering 
the Messiah's story across the pages of Scripture and through the annals of time, and indeed it is an adventure to do so. Now, you know, our lives, our lives, I mean, sometimes they don't feel like an adventure, right? They don't feel thrilling. Sometimes life just feels like a lot of hard work. But there is, truly there is an adventure when we journey with our Lord. And, and when we do, we're not just sitting still as we sometimes feel, but we're climbing the mountains of faith as we walk with Jesus together. And it is an adventure. So um, we're going to go on an adventure today and through the season oh. of Advent. And today we're going to go on, I think of the first one for me comes, comes to mind is Dr. Who. Anybody know Doctor Who? British, British time travel. He's the Time Lord. He travels through time in his his ship or his time machine called TARDIS. And you remember you remember how it manifests itself um, when when it when it's on Earth, usually somewhere like in England. But it looks like uh, looks like one of those British telephone booths or a police call box that goes in there to travel in time. That's one that comes to mind for me. Um, I think also a couple of years ago, there was Avengers, the Avengers movie Endgame. Did anybody see that? Avengers Endgame, right? And, um, and they travel through kind of the quantum space of time to change things in the past, to fix things for the future. Kind of cool stuff. I always like time travel. But today, and for the next few weeks, we, we are going to time travel together. Really, you didn't know I could do that when I came as your pastor. Right, but today we're going to time travel. We're going to go way back, way back in the way back time traveling machine. And we're going to look at different aspects of the events leading up to that first Christmas in Bethlehem. And today, today, today I want us to step into our time machine, our way back machine. And we're going to go into the Old Testament and we're going to travel um, back to, to look at what were the... Jewish expectations and the Jewish prophecies about Messiah to come. And, and so we're going to go back. We're going to go back about 4,000 years looking at these predictions, looking at these expectations. And, you know, sometimes when you read the Old Testament, some of it just, some of it just doesn't always make sense. But I think when we look at it through the, the lens of the expectation of a Messiah, it begins to come together and more of the pieces begin to connect together. And so, um, you know, we're not only going to look at these predictions, but we're also going to look today at just how all of the events of the world, of world history, begin to point toward, coalesce toward the coming Messiah throughout that history. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning today. Although we did this last week, we went to Genesis 1-1. But we're going to go all the way back to the beginning in our time machine, right? Boop, there we go. Way back to Genesis. God created the earth. God created the first man, um, our first father, Adam. And it was on Adam. The course of history depended on what Adam would do. Um, and so then we know Adam and, and Eve... His wife, they, they have one job, right? You ever see those memes? You had one job, right? You messed it up. They had one job, and their job was simply a job of passive avoidance. But they messed up their one job. 
They did what was right in their own eyes, and they, they thought they could be like God. And all the rest of humanity fell with Adam and Eve as they were disobedient to God. And right there, right there at the very beginning, God could have said, uh, it didn't work. The project didn't work. Let's just clear the table. Let's just cancel all of this. But he didn't. And he didn't, I believe, because we were valuable to him. His creation, humanity, was valuable to him. He loved us that much that he didn't just right there end it all. And so from the very start, there was the fall, Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 3.15, we get the first promise. We get the first promise of the Messiah. We get the first mention of the gospel. When, When God says, he says that the seed of the woman would redeem humanity from the curse of the serpent. And so from the line of the woman, he says the the serpent or Satan or the devil, he's going to strike Messiah's heel, but that ultimately the Messiah will crush the serpent and he will redeem humanity. This is the first mention of good news. This is the first promise of of grace that God gives us all the way back some 4,000 years ago at the beginning of his word. And so we see from that that there was always hope. There was always, it didn't always seem like there was hope, but there was always hope. It wasn't always a big hope, but there was a mustard seed of hope from the very beginning. It's there. And then we get back in our time machine, and we're going to go forward in time just a bit. We're going to, whoop, I don't, I'm not very good at these sound effects, but we're going to go forward in our time machine, and we're going to go forward to around Genesis 6, Noah and the flood. And from Noah, we, we learn that... God will indeed save us. He would save the righteous from destruction. Noah's family, even when they were the only people on the face of the earth who were righteous and who trusted God, God would save them. And so we see from this that we have a God who is in the business of saving. And then we fast forward again. We get back in our time machine and we go up to the time of Abraham in Genesis 12. And and Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God when God told him to move to a a new place, a new land, the land of Canaan. And Abraham got up and he moved. He was faithful. He was obedient. And then God gave Abraham a miracle promise. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they were up in age. They were were old. They had not had children. Sarah was barren as much as they knew. And then God promised that they would have a child. And God promised that from that child, from their descendants, the entire world would be blessed. So this was a good news promise. And it was a a promise of the uh, eventual coming of Messiah in Jesus at that first Christmas. And and it sort of harkens back, right? Um, It sort of harkens back to what I read from Luke chapter 1 at the beginning of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they prayed that they would have a child as well. And God fulfilled that promise. Even though it was a miracle promise, God made it, God made it so. So we kind of see a foreshadowing there. But God gave this son to Abraham and Sarah. His name was Isaac, this miracle son. Um, and, and then the hardest part of this story, the hardest part came when God told Abraham to take his son, to take Isaac, his only son, his beloved son, and to take him to the mountain and to make of him a sacrifice for the Lord. Can you imagine? Yet 
Abraham's obedient. He is faithful unto the Lord and he takes Isaac to the mountain and he binds him as a sacrifice. And just as he is about to bring down the knife, God stops him. And in the thicket, there's a ram. God provides for the sacrifice and he sees that Abraham is obedient. And this was, in a way, it was God's message of saying, even though many of the nations and peoples around them would sacrifice children on the altar, that God's people were not to do this. And it was also a promise that, that, that one day, one day for the saving of his people, um, that, that God's people would not have to sacrifice their children, but God would take his son, his only son, his beloved son to the altar for us so that our children might live. And that was a promise of God and a promise of the coming Messiah, a foreshadowing. But the parallels don't, the parallels don't stop there. We'll go forward in our time machine once again on to the future. And, and we go to the time of, of Jacob. Isaac had a son, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. We, we talked about Joseph, one of his sons, last week. And because of Joseph, all of Jacob's family ended up in Egypt over hundreds of years, over the period of about 400 years. Eventually, all of Jacob's descendants, all of the Hebrews in Egypt, ended up as slaves in Egypt. And God heard their cry. And God raised up uh, an unusual helper for his people. His name was Moses. And so Moses was, as you remember, Moses was brought up in the palace. He was a Hebrew, but he was an adopted grandson of Pharaoh. And he was brought up in the palace with all of the privileges of of, um, uh, an Egyptian elite, Egyptian royalty. Yet he chose to leave the palace in order to identify with his own people, to stand with his own people in their time of need, kind of a a foreshadowing of how Jesus would one day leave his heavenly palace, his heavenly throne to come and to identify and to live with and to save his people. Sort of an amazing foreshadowing there. Um, And that's not the only only parallel with with Moses. Moses went up on the, the mountain, you remember, to receive the law of God and then to give it to his people. And, and Jesus also went on the mountain to teach the law of God, to give the law of God to the people as he taught the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus not only gave the law of God, but he was the author of the law of God, and he perfectly fulfilled the law of God for his people. Now, at the end of his life, Moses knew, he seemed to have a special insight that a Messiah would one day come. And God gives him this, this sort of knowledge and he says this in Deuteronomy 18, he says, the Lord, he's speaking to his people. He says, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And it is, it is to him that you shall listen. It's to him that you shall listen. Um, and not only would Jesus be a prophet like Moses, but he would exceed Moses. For, for a time, Moses reflected the glory of God, but Jesus would be the perfect image of God for us and with us. All right. So there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that when Moses spoke about a coming Messiah, he was speaking about Jesus. Amen? Yeah. 
All right. After 40 years of leadership, Moses died. Joshua then led God's people into the promised land, into the holy land. He was a mighty warrior for God. And um, you might not know this, but Joshua's name is the same as Jesus' name in Hebrew. They're kind of variants of the same name, Yehoshua and Yeshua. That's kind of a cool little little, uh, pointing toward the Messiah there. And, And while Joshua was God's means of leading his people into the holy land, Jesus was God's means of leading God's people into his very holy presence to be with God. Now we travel through time once again, um, up to maybe 400 more years. The, the, the year is 1400 BC, 1400 BC. And we come to the time of the judges. And so there's this cyclical kind of chapter that goes on here where God's people, they're faithful, and then they turn into kind of apostasy. They turn away from God. They turn to their own devices. Um, God begins to judge them. The nations around them begin to oppress them, and then they eventually cry out to God for help, and he sends them kind of a savior, but, but they call, they're called judges. So he sends someone to help them, and some of the judges are good. Some of them are not so good. Some of them are kind of unpredictable. Some of them are cowards. Some of them are headstrong. Some of them are prideful. But you know what? God uses them all to bring his people back to a place of faithfulness. Um, Even in their backsliding, he brings them back. But I think what we learn in the time of the judges is that a permanent solution is needed. In order to redeem God's people, this Messiah is really, really needed. And so we travel again in the time machine. We come up to about 1000 BC. This is the the time of kings. And so um, the, the people said they wanted a king. They demanded a king. Through the prophets, God said, this is probably not a good idea, right? But the people still wanted their king. And so God gives them kings. If you've studied the Old Testament, you know, were, were most of the kings good? No, most of the kings were bad. If you ever have to guess if a king was a good king or a bad king, you're probably better just guessing they were one of the bad kings because most of them were. But God used these kings and God, there, were, there was one king who really pointed toward Messiah and it was King David. It's the king that, that the scriptures say was the man after God's own heart. And David was far from perfect, but but God used him in this special way. And God kind of, all the rest of Israel's history and all the rest of the kings are kind of judged against, compared against David's reign. And God says this eventual Messiah is going to come from the line of David. Um, and, and so even more than that, even more than that, David, David wrote quite a few of the Psalms. And, and in many of the Psalms, he, he basically prophesies about the coming Messiah. It's really fascinating. In Psalm 2, he says that the coming Messiah will be called God's son. And in Psalm 16, he says the Messiah will not be allowed to see decay in Sheol, but, but rather he will be resurrected from, the, from death. In Psalm 22, David described, he describes the, um, the death and the vindication of the Messiah at at a level of detail that's just amazing. He basically talks about 
crucifixion, even in a time before crucifixion had been, had been invented as a means of capital punishment. And, and then in Psalm 110, this psalm directly shows that David is a servant of this Messiah who will come. In Psalm 118, he talks about the Messiah being the cornerstone who would be rejected. It's just amazing how, how David writes ab- about this Messiah to come throughout the Psalms. <clears throat> and then we get back in the time machine. Once again, boop, we travel. We travel from the past toward, toward the present. More years pass by. Israel once again falls into patterns of apostasy, falls away from God. And so God sends prophets in order to bring his people back home, to speak to his people. And um, he continues through these prophets to make promises of this Messiah to come. And so the prophet Isaiah, he confirmed that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, that he would be a healer, that he would suffer for his people, that he would be pierced and wounded, as David described. And Isaiah knew that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. And and he taught us that the Messiah would be for the whole world. And perhaps most important, Monica mentioned this earlier in our time of worship, in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah mentions that the Messiah would be mighty God. He didn't flesh it out, but but he's saying that somehow the Messiah is going to be incarnational, is going to be God with us and for us. It's really amazing. And and then other prophets also kind of begin to get pieces of the puzzle. Daniel gives the Messiah the name of Son of Man, which is one of Jesus' favorite names for himself. And and then um, Hosea shares with us that the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. Zechariah prophesied about the, the events of the final week of Jesus' life. Malachi foretold that the Messiah would be preceded by a messenger who came in the, the spirit and the power of Elijah. Again, to harken back to Luke chapter 1, which I read at the beginning of the sermon about John the Baptist to come, that he would have the Holy Spirit on him before he was even out of his mama's womb, right? The power and spirit of Elijah. And so, and so you see across all the pages, all the, the time through the Old Testament, there are these promises these prophecies, these foreshadowings about the Messiah to come, explaining who he would be and what he would do and, and, and who we should be looking for. Um, so the Old Testament, it, it, it not only testifies to the promises of Messiah to come, but, but it also shows us our deep need as people, it shows us our deep need, our great need for a Savior. It shows us how broken we are in sin. It shows us how quickly we are to fall away from God and how desperately we need a Savior. So when you read the Old Testament, sometimes, like I said, sometimes it doesn't all make sense. But I think when we look at it through this redemptive historical lens of the Messiah to come, of Jesus to come, many of the pieces begin to to fall into place and to come together. So that's our time travel today through 4,000 years of Old Testament history. Now, what would, um, 
what would you take from this message today? What would be the take home from this for each of us? I'm, I'm going to suggest two things. Um, I think the first is confidence. If you were to take something home, if somebody asked you after church, what did what, you learn today in church? The first would be confidence. Confidence that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And even more than that, that he came for you and for your salvation. Confidence. You know, the, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, they were written over a great deal of time, over thousands of years by, by different people in different places. And I think it can give us the confidence that, that these different writers, they didn't, um, they didn't corroborate together on how they would write all of this up so that it made sense and it could all be fulfilled over these all these different years in different places they were writing. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't corroborate together. Their, their prophecies were totally separate from one another. And, and I, think it, I think it gives us great confidence in, in the veracity of Scripture, that this is true and that this is indeed God's word to us. Um, sometimes people will say, well, the, some of these prophecies, they contradict one another. And I'll give you an example of that, right? Is that a plane? We'll wait. That one seemed kind of slow going by. Okay. Um, someone was telling me, I forget who it was now, they were saying, oh, you, you know, he says, I can tell what kind of plane it is as they go by and if it's an old one or a new one by how noisy it is. Or I'm, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Maybe, maybe some of you have, but maybe in a few months I'll be able to tell you. Um, so sometimes the prophecies seem to contradict each other. Hosea said, Hosea said that the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. Micah said that he would come from Bethlehem. Isaiah said he would be a Nazarite from Nazareth. This seems to be sort of contra- contradictory information, yet we know that he was born in Bethlehem, right? His family fled to Egypt, so he came out of Egypt, and then he, he lived much of his life in, in Nazareth as a Nazarene, right? So, so um, these different prophets had they had a little piece of the picture that all come together in harmony so we can have confidence in God's word the the old testament I believe makes it very easy to see that Jesus is the promised savior come for us come for the salvation of God's people so we can have confidence the second thing I'd like us to take away this morning is thankfulness thankfulness that we live on this side of history Thankfulness that we live on this side of history. For you think about this, for, for 4,000 years of all of these prophecies written, everything that people heard, everything that they may have read, everything that they may, may have been taught about the coming Messiah, it, it may have given them hope in the Messiah to come and God's and God coming to be with them, but but they lived their life, all of their life until their death, waiting for these prophecies to be fulfilled, waiting for these promises to come to pass. And they never saw, they never saw the the fulfillment of these prophecies. They were born, they lived their life, they died, and none of this was fulfilled. But we live on the other side of history, if you will. We know that Jesus is the fulfillment of these 4,000 years of expectation these 4,000 years of promises of the Messiah to come. And, and, and of course, we're going to talk more about his birth uh, in the coming weeks.
but, but we know that all of that led to his birth, which we celebrate each year at Christmas. And, um, you know, and, and we have the benefit of 2,000 years of, of church history um, to be thankful for and to give us confidence in our Lord. And we have the benefit of 2,000 years of church scholars to help pierce the, the mysteries of the faith, to help us to grow and develop as disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, and while the denial of God may be alive and well today, I believe that for, for the one who would sincerely seek the truth, that at the heart of the truth, they will find Jesus. Amen. The fulfillment of 4,000 years of prophecies and promise. So today we can take away confidence and thankfulness in Jesus and the promises that brought us to him. Now, I'm looking forward to next week. Next week, we are going to go in our time machine back to the events leading up to Jesus' birth. So that will be exciting. I'm excited about that. But this week, I believe we can rejoice that we know a Savior. And if you don't know the Savior, today is as good a time as any to begin to lean on these promises of God through 4,000 years of history and with confidence and thankfulness to trust on Jesus and to call him your Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for time to worship. Um, indeed, you are our God and you are a great God and Father. We thank you for the uh, unlocking the, the, the mysteries of the ages that through the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, they have pointed us to a Savior. And that even though for so many years they, they were simply types and shadows, that, that now on this side of history, we can see clearly your Son and our Savior Jesus. And may we rejoice in Him, especially in this season of Christmas. And may we be confident in who He is for us. And may we be a people of thanks that we can see Him clearly and know Him dearly as our Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.